Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an educator for 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, and an educational consultant. Let's get started. Hey listeners, before we jump into the show, I wanted to tell you about the Equip to Achieve EQ and Remote Learning Summit, which will be held from April 8th through the 11th. Now, this is a can't-miss opportunity for those seeking strategies, information, and inspiration on everything from parenting and teaching in the digital age to addressing social isolation through the lenses of emotional intelligence and social and emotional learning. And the best part? You don't even have to leave your house to attend. We weren't prepared for the impacts of COVID-19 on our educational system, but this virtual event promises to bridge the gaps and equip and empower attendees with the knowledge and skills to do better in 2021 and beyond. Now here's the best part. Registration for this four-day event would normally cost you over $200. But if you use the link found in the show notes, you can get full access to this entire conference for only $100. That's over 50% off. So be sure to register today by using the link in the show notes or on any of my other sites. This episode is a pause to ponder segment. These bi-weekly sessions will allow me to share with you my personal thoughts and reflections on a wide spectrum of topics as they relate to education. It is my hope that you will be able to take something from these segments and apply it in a meaningful way as you continue to do amazing work. Remember, while we all have different roles, we all have a single job, educating our students. So it is dedicated to my AP. Well, Technically, he's my dean of students, but the roles in which he plays at the school go far beyond that title. What I admire the most about him is the passion and dedication that he has for our students. When I arrived at the school a few years ago, he was already an integral figure of the building, and to be honest, he and I did not get along very well. Originally, I had chalked it up to the male ego, you know, two alphas competing for control, But over time, I realized that it wasn't that at all. The truth was, and still is, that he loves his students. And back then, he he was worried about my intentions for his babies. He positioned himself as their protector from this newcomer with crazy ideas who would probably be as temporary as the leaders before him. Five years later, I am still here, and he is still their protector. And that attitude is what pushed me to do this episode. You see, as a staunch advocate for our students, he carefully examines much of what is said and done around the school. And well, a lot has been going on recently. During our current deep dive into Zaretta Hammond's culturally responsive teaching in the brain, 
There have been many conversations and debates about how to best approach instruction for our students. So we, we agree and realize that many of our approaches have inadvertently fostered dependent learners, which is evident in their impressive academic performance within the classroom, wherein lies a plethora of scaffolding and supports, but then consistently struggle to demonstrate the same understanding on standardized assessments. And before I continue, if you're an avid listener or have connected with me in other spaces, you will know that I'm not a proponent of high-stakes standardized testing. There exist many issues with the way in which the assessments are designed and implemented, not to mention how the data is used, but that is not the focus of this episode. The reality is that while we push for educational revolution in these areas that we know continue to perpetuate the achievement gap, we must also acknowledge that our students must still navigate these spaces. The world isn't pausing while we fight, so we must take on the Herculean task of simultaneously advocating for our students while preparing them for the realities of our current situation. And this, I fear, is where we must remain focused, for it is a narrow path from which any deviation can result in unintended consequences. Equity is a word that has been used a lot, like a lot, a lot. And part of that discussion is how equity and equality are not the same thing. I think we should all know that by now, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'll reiterate it simply and that equality refers to sameness, whereas equity refers to conditional upon need. Maybe this is just me, but I fear that we have embraced the concept of equity to such a level that we have replaced equality without realizing the harm that this can cause. You see, there, there are times in which we need equality. Think about equal rights, for example. We want to be assured that we all have the same rights, not that those rights are conditional. My argument and the conversation that I've been hashing out with my dean is that we need to apply the same principle to our expectations of our students. We cannot have equitable expectations, expectations that vary based on their conditions. Maybe I'm wrong, but this sounds an awful lot, lot like deficit thinking, the idea that students are deficient because of their conditions and thus should have a different set of expectations because there's no reasonable belief that they will be able to meet the same level of performance as their more advantaged peers. See, the school in which we work is the epitome of urban education. Now, I state that as a fact, not as a crutch. We recognize the obstacles that consistently present themselves both within and around our school. It is our reality. But this does not mean that we cannot expect greatness from our students. And I don't mean greatness relative to their situations, but the same level of greatness that we would expect from students at the big shiny school just a few blocks away in our neighboring community. If their students are reading and discussing the nuances of thought-provoking novels, then why can't ours? If their students are solving complex mathematical equations, then why can't ours? 
if their students are regularly acing college entrance exams and gaining admission to the nation's most prestigious institutions, then why can't ours? The answer? They can. See, the problem doesn't lie within our students. The problem doesn't lie within their environments. Yes, there are factors that will impact their journey, but the problem lies in the expectations that we set for our students. I recently shared a parking lot thought video in which I talked about the power behind expectations. In it, I briefly shared the idea that your expectations drive your efforts. If you have low expectations, then you will, consciously or not, lower your efforts. Now, this is critical when you are responsible for leading others, and as educators, our job is to lead students. When we possess equitable expectations, or lower our expectations because of our students' impoverished conditions, we alter the amount of effort that we put into the work that we do with them. See, I may say something here that turns some of you off, but my intention for this show isn't to pacify, but to challenge. I know many educators who claim to have high expectations for their students, and to be honest, they may truly believe it. But I can almost guarantee that if these same educators paused and examined the practices in their classrooms, if they truly and objectively reflected, a hard truth will be presented. If you have equal expectations for all of your students, the same that are held for other students in other schools and other communities, then why are you teaching parts of speech in middle school? Why are you teaching math facts in high school? Is that really your definition of a high expectation? An equal expectation? And before you say it, I, I know. Students develop at different rates. Students have different needs. And I agree to a point. I, I fear that these statements have, for many, become excuses for allowing our students to fall behind as we consistently point out the discrepancies in the system. As I mentioned earlier, until these issues are corrected, and let's face it, we've been implementing so-called reform for decades, we must adequately prepare our students for the spaces beyond our classrooms and schools. If we want our students to be truly successful, then we must begin with equal expectations. Yes, we must ensure equitable access to equitable pathways. But these practices must be grounded in equal expectations. Now, before I sign off, I mentioned my Dean at the beginning and Quinn, I want to say thank you for continuing to challenge me to help me grow as an educational leader. I truly appreciate you. And I hope that if you are listening to this, that these thoughts continue to challenge and to continue to grow you as an educator. I look forward to being able to have conversations around this and other dialogue, so please feel free to reach out. I would love to connect. Until next time. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you like what you are hearing, 
please be sure to like and subscribe. The show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and several of your other favorite platforms. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with the host and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.